This is Comedians and Bars Getting Sloppy. Tonight's guest is John McKernan. John's been doing stand-up for around 40 years and has rubbed elbows with Rodney Dangerfield, along with several other iconic stand-up artists. We'll be reminiscing about the Rodney days, how to handle hecklers, and taking strap-ons. Here's your host, Cassie Burns. Hey everybody, my name's Cassie. Welcome to Comedians and Bars Getting Sloppy. We are joined today by John McKernan. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Love to hear about how you can start it and what brought you to the comedy world to make you want to be a stand-up comedian. Most people have the traumas, but I'm not going into that with you, I promise. Uh, well, um, I always loved to laugh and I always loved to make people laugh. And as I grew up, so many different things you know, happen around you that if, if you see the humor in them, they're fun. Oh, yeah. To laugh about them. So um, by the time I got to college, um, I decided I was going to start a comedy club because at that time, Saturday Night Live was big. Um, a lot of comedians were coming out. Um, I was just a huge Roger Dangerfield fan. So um, I started the comedy club. I went to the college to say, how do I do this? And so we started a comedy club there. Uh, at first, the college didn't know how to take it. Uh, and then we got a radio show, too, on the radio station at the college. And then we started doing shows. And then they actually hired us to uh, do orientation for all the new freshmen. And we had a lot of funny skits. And we just kept on entertaining and while that was going on, of course, we're all developing our comic humor. Right. So then I decided to go. There were about a half dozen you know, stand-up bars around the area. I was around Baltimore, D.C. So I went, started doing stand-up there along with the other guys. What and, college were you at? Uh, Towson University. Okay. How's yeah. that program going today? Do you know they still have that going? Or? I haven't looked on the website. I got a feeling it's not quite there. I mean, it's funny. Usually, the people originally get involved. They are the driving force. Right. And then when the other... There were some other ones that did come along as I got into my senior year, but I think it eventually died. I mean, we, we had it going pretty good because we even had a room for our club, and we had... You know, we were recognized on campus, and mm-hmm. so and some of the other comedians weren't around to help really drive it at that point. Right. Yeah. So with Saturday Night Live coming out at that time, you know, you had Bill Murray, um, you had Belushi, right. Dan Aykroyd, I think Chevy Chase was a... One he of was the one season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but apparently he was even difficult at that point. <laughs> um, yeah. Cocaine he, was rampant and yep. probably given out at the colleges along with condoms, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Those were the condoms of the 70s. So with that, do you think that with them getting rid of the program or not possibly having that program as big as it was, do you think that's because we're not seeing the improv as much? And it kind of died down a little bit more, kind of more towards movies and, you know, other things other than that was a great time for comedy. Right. For stand-up, it definitely was. That was where a lot of the famous stand-up comedians came from at that point and went on to eventually do, you know, movie careers. Right. Um, just about all of them on Saturday night went into some kind of movie and then you had Eddie Murphy he got on Saturday night and he went on um, I think he was the only one carrying that season <laughs> <laughs> but, we were sad yeah. to get rid of them yeah it's uh, 
So I think you might be right that a lot more comedians, rather than rely on stand-up now, go to movies. And mm-hmm. Of course, they can make more money. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, YouTube, Instagram. Yep. It's like, oh, can't you work a little bit harder? Get out there and do the hard things that right. we've known before and not a YouTube sensation. I agree. And be honest, you know, now that I've been back, getting back into comedy, um, I don't understand a lot of the young comedians today. I mean, I really don't see a lot of humor in their jokes. <laughs> right. It's sanitized. Um, I think we're kind of starting to see a little bit more of a Apatow kind of resurgence where it's, you know, we had the great comedies of even the 2000s. Right. And then it just died completely. And But I'm starting to see a little bit more coming out now. Um, not anywhere near where it used to be, where we would all just go there. You know, I think I saw Dumb and Dumber in the theater six times. <laughs> and I fell out of my theater seat watching There's Something About Mary because I laughed so hard. Those were the really good, the raunchy comedies. And then you also had, like, the 80s where those were the great comedies as well. 70s, too. I've probably watched Porky's way too early in life. But... That's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they 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 started coming out with more uh, raunchy type uh, movies and this that and the other and you know there there's a spot for that, but I think you need to get back to first being able to write comedy, write it in a way that it's funny mm-hmm. on its own, and then you can get into some of the other stuff too. So when you talk about your writing it, how is what is your process as far as getting your jokes down? You just kind of carry around a notebook and keep it with you at all times. That's what I do. Really, I love my notebooks. Yep. Uh, I think I have more notebooks at my house than I do. Right. So here's my this current notebook mine, and on one side, what I'll do is when a funny idea comes to me or I see something, I'll write down just right the idea. Okay. And then I'll come back later and start writing out the joke. Now, okay. and folks, we're uh, looking at, so, because you can't see, podcast right. time. We're looking at a nice little spiral round notebook, and he has all kinds of Yep, so I got my little things over there, and then I got that. Then I go to the computer, put it on the computer, and um, then when I get ready to like do a, a bit tonight, mm-hmm. 20 minutes, I'll take the stuff I want to do tonight, and I will... We work it and rework it for about at least 10 times. Right. And say it and get it down to where I really want it. And then I'll come out and try it on the audience. And, of course, I videotape everything I do. Mm-hmm. So then I can go back and see what really was working, what didn't work. You know, what I can maybe... Sometimes, like you said, when you're doing comedy like that, the audience feeds you stuff and right. you then all of a sudden you can add it into the mix and so that's always fun no definitely it's you gotta be on your toes you Excuse have me. to be on your toes with yeah. comedy I, I I couldn't do it I like to claim that I'm a little bit funny here and there but if I ever did stand up I'd run away crying Yeah, because people are brutal they can be. Yeah, they, <laughs> they and brutal. everybody thinks they're a comedian. So, oh, you yeah. know, um, and I try to warn them about that, you know, saying, guys, you know, I've been at this for over 40 years. Do you really want to go at it with me? 
come at me. See yeah. what happens. But uh, to give you an example, even during my day job, you know, I'm in sales and I do a lot of speeches. And um, but the other day, I had a speech I had to do at a meeting. And this older guy, he says, yeah, things have changed so much when I got into sales and I got to do this and I got to, you know, learn how to do a Facebook and learn how to do I said, yeah, it's called the Internet. You know, and everybody World cracked. Wide web. Yeah, everybody cracked up on the floor, <laughs> you know. It was just perfect timing and played right off it. So, um, you know, you, you live for those moments. Right. When somebody just, you know, and... I'm not a big comedian about putting down people or putting other comedians down. I just think that's unprofessional. What mm-hmm. I like to do is take what they give me and make jokes out of it. I, that's one of the fears I ever have to go to a comedy club and just be the bystander, you know, sitting there listening. And then they pick you out going, oh, you in that shirt. I'm like, ah, shit. <laughs> not, not this shirt. No, not yeah. this shirt. I, I, no, please don't do this to me. It was um, like... Uh, I was doing some stand-up at the Sparrow about six months ago, and this lady was in the audience, and uh, all the comedians were kind of picking on her a little bit. So I said, I'm sorry about that. I said, what, what do you do? She says, I own a Chick-fil-A. Oh, really? She says, yeah, and I'm Jewish. <laughs> and I said, well, how does that... That material that? just wrote itself. Yeah, how, how does that work? You're closed on Saturdays? <laughs> the high holy days yes <laughs> how's that working out yeah right so uh, for the folks listening the sparrow we're located out of somerville south carolina the sparrow is in park circle north charleston south carolina and it is a big comedy venue an amazing bar if you ever get a chance <clears throat> to head out that way please do park circle is amazing and they've done so much with different businesses that are going around um when i talked to you initially one of the things that i always ask my comedians is because i'm a huge movie buff I don't know everything about them. I just I enjoy movies. Now I can honestly say I've probably never seen two of these movies. We go into that, but you had Gone with the Wind on there. Gone I with thought the that wind. was really interesting, and it's not obviously nowhere near a comedy. <laughs> no, I mean uh, I gave you kind of a an overview of different genres I like, mm-hmm. and Gone with the Wind. All you know, I I saw that growing up. Um, my parents really like that. Uh, and there is, when you're in the South here, you can see a lot and learn a lot about the South from that movie. Right. Though I think it was funny, they, uh, the Southern Belle there, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, was actually an English woman <laughs> who played that part. Yes, it was. And, uh, and then my mother used to tell me about uh, Clark Gable, who's Red Butler, and she said... Yeah, there was always this rumor going around that uh, if he had been two inches shorter, he'd been a great actress. <laughs> they are short. They're still short today. I think Tom Cruise is, what, five foot five? <laughs> yeah. I'm not quite sure. Uh, so but- my mom is, will, to this day, just one of her, she says, biggest failures as being a, a parent is the fact that I have never watched Gone with the Wind. And... <laughs> It's one of those hyped movies that I just have never... If it's so hyped, I'm like, it's never going to live up to what I think it's going to be. And I've right. just never seen it. I was the same with Jurassic Park. They forced me to go see Jurassic Park. And I was like, I really don't want to see this. And I was forced as a kid. And I can't stand it to this day because I was not in the frame of mind to watch damn Jurassic Park. I 
Avatar, same exact thing. Yeah, well, with Gone with the Wind, you you got to be in the frame of mind because it's like a three and a half hour long oh, movie. Yeah. <laughs> frame of mind, bathroom break. Yeah, right. Like <laughs> um, I was reading also about The Graduate, so that's an incredible movie. And what blew my mind on that one is um, the late, great, beautiful Anne Bancroft was only three years older than Dustin Hoffman in that film. You wouldn't have known it, right? Not at all. But she is, he's just had that baby face. She is what, to the day she died, just one of the most beautiful women in this world. Right. So what is it about The Graduate that really got oh, you? Oh, The Graduate has everything in it. You know, first of all, I'm, I'm big into music. I played guitar. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it has great music for Simon and Garfunkel, right? Uh, it has a lot of humor to it. Yeah. Some of it's very subtle, but I mean, it is funny. Uh, I think generally that's one of the few movies that you can say the movie was better than the book. Okay. That's rare. Yeah, it's very rare. And then you had some great actors and actresses, like you said, Dustin Hoffman and Anne Bancroft and everything mm-hmm. else. And, um, you know, it was just, um, it had a little bit of everything in it. And it was a kind of movie that came out of a time where the country was going from kind of innocence to more progressive, more talking about sex, more Mm -hmm. getting into that. And this one, you know, she's the ultimate cougar, right? Oh, (laughs) Lord have mercy. We could all be so lucky to be just like her. Yeah, I I tell the story about my son because he... My youngest son, he's the good-looking one in all the kids, and he loved, um, everybody loved him. Uh, He's very social, the boys, the girls, the parents. And about age 14, I noticed he was starting to get invited over to his friend's house all the time with the single divorce moms. (laughs) Oh, well. Yeah, and I think you can see where this is going. (laughs) Okay. There was even a song in the 90s. Not a great one, but... Uh, so all of a sudden, uh, it got bad because the women would start calling the house and say, can Justin come over? He's such a good influence on my <laughs> job. he was. <laughs> and then one day, I go to pick him up, and this lady answers the door, and she has a see-through night jersey on, right? And I'm like, Justin, we need to talk. <laughs> he gets in the car, and I say to Justin, I said, are you having sex with these women? <laughs> Dad, you don't understand. They love me. Oh, my God. You know, Justin, there's more to it than that. He says, plus they have protection. I said, that doesn't always work. How do you think you got here? (laughs) (laughs) And so he says, it's my life. I said, you're right. It is your life. (laughs) So at age 18, he moved out, moved in with one of these women. Oh, my gosh. He's now up in Philly, and every week he would send pictures of the latest cougar he's with. It's gotten so bad that his mom has blocked his number. <laughs> and Dad, he starts to try to tell me all the stuff he's doing. He said, I, I don't want to know about it, okay? No. Um, I don't know why you just don't, you know, and, and every time you call his ringtone, it's Mrs. Robertson on it. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so <laughs> I said to him, why don't you grow up and get married? And he blocked me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell him how to live his life. Well, he's, yeah. I mean, he's living the life of... Yep. Well, I do that Alex set Riley. now, and I get a lot of laughs with... Well, you said you, uh, one of your influences or one of your favorite people was Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, yeah. 
I went to at least a dozen of his shows. He used to come to the Baltimore, D.C. area a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, actually went to one of the nightclubs I was performing at. He met me. He really liked me. Uh, he invited me up to Dangerfield, his club that he started. Um, and I did one performance there. You know, I didn't do the greatest. <laughs> but, uh, you know, met some other people up there, you know, who were killing it on stage. And a lot of people don't know Rodney had such a big heart for young comedians mm -hmm. because he didn't want them to struggle like he did uh, years and years before he became famous. So that's why he started Dangerfield. And he'd scare the country to find new comedic talent and put them on center stage. And he used to do all those HBO specials right. and everything Right, I remember else. those growing up. And um, just some great comedians came out of that. But what he would do is, like with me, he said, Hey, kid, write me a couple jokes. <laughs> so I'd, I'd write him a few jokes, and he'd pay me $50 a joke. And then I found out when he died, his wife went through his storage shed, and he had boxes and boxes and boxes of jokes that comedians had written for him. He never used. He just wanted to give him some money, you know? That is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, he, I re remember reading about him being such an advocate for young comedians, uh, Jim Carrey being one of his big ones. Mm -hmm. um, at the top of my head, I can't. I know. Tim Allen came yep. from there. Um, Andrew Dice Clay, not always my cup of tea, but you know <laughs> he was there. Uh, so he had a lot of them that became famous and all. Yeah, Dice has had a little bit of a resurgence as far as movies go, and yeah, he did a. I know um, the Star Is Born. He was actually good in that. He, I always find it very interesting when these comedians go towards the more serious roles, and they come out of their you know, their comfort zone, and they turn out to be really good. Now, I'm not saying, I loved the movie with Jim Carrey where he was Andy Kaufman, but he may have gone a little too far with that one. But he also did own, he owned the bongo set and everything from Andy Kaufman. Did you ever have, get to see Andy Kaufman at all? Or? Um, I just saw him a little bit on Saturday Night Live, and be <laughs> honest, I wasn't a big Andy Kaufman fan. I mean, he was, a, he was very different, and... It took me a long time to appreciate, you know, what he was doing because he was so avant-garde and out there mm -hmm. and different. Um, but that's what you have to do as a comedian. You have to come up with your own style and you have to develop your own style so when people hear it, they know it's you. Right. And uh, when I work with young comedians, I said, that's the first thing you need to do. You, first of all, have fun. <laughs> Don't worry if you mess up a joke because nobody's going to know, <laughs> you know. Um, but start developing your own style. What kind of jokes do you like to tell? And, you know, and I teach them how to write it down and we work on jokes and everything else because, um, you know, I really see this as an art form. And I'd hate to see it go by the wayside where all these PC comedians <laughs> don't want to get right. into it. You know? I really do think that we're starting to see where that is going to start going to the wayside we've become so sanitized and it's at one point it's going to break and i'm i'm thinking we're seeing the cracks in that now i hope yeah well you, you know you have chris rock and uh, dave Chappelle coming out against right. it and speaking up about it um though they're not they're still holding back mm -hmm. um there are some bars around here don't want me to go in because i am not holding back I am doing it. I'm on the edge. I know I'm on the edge. And, um, you know, because like I said, I'm looking to get people to laugh. Right. And 
that's why I try to tell them. I said, grow up, guys. You know, just laugh. You know, why are you so serious about all this stuff? It, you know, it's funny. It's absolutely supposed to be. It's supposed to be, you know, comedy's there to let go of what you, you know, your troubles of the day and, you know, not to be cheesy and anything, but it, that's what it is, just, just to laugh. And I think we've lost that. But, again, I really do think we're starting to see that again. Now, if you've toured, where, where was your favorite place you've ever toured? Uh, I used to play a lot at City Lights. That was in Baltimore. Uh, there was called the Laugh Club, the uh, Comedy Cafe over in D.C. And I went up just one time to uh, New York. Um, right now, I'm just performing around Charleston. I really would love to see Charleston become like kind of a mecca for comedy, okay? I don't want to be traveling all over the place. Right, Not no. at my age. <laughs> you know, I just want to have fun and make people laugh. And, you know, we got Bill Murray here in town. Yeah. You know, and... Um, so, you know, why not? You know, why not make Charleston one of the comic destinations that everybody wants to go to? And we I have mean, so many living here, too. Like I said, Bill Murray's here. Uh, we also have Danny McBride lives in, I think, Goose Creek. Or no, uh, North Charleston. Um, filming the Righteous Gemstones, which mm-hmm. I passed the Citadel Mall. And I saw the Gemstone Arena, and I just went, oh, my God. I love that show, and I love Danny McBride. And I loved that, you know, that era of comedy as well, you know, with the Apatiles, and he came up with that. Um, he's yeah. been filming here for years. I'm, I'm trying to figure out why we don't have more comedy clubs here, because, you know, you just had, what, about six months ago, Chris Rock and Dave Ch- Chappelle come right. here, and they sold out, and they were like $2,000 a ticket. I mean, yeah. there's no reason <laughs> not to have a comedy club here. You know, there's a lot of music vendors, and I'm, uh, I'm not complaining about the music mm-hmm. what i'm saying is let's have some comedy too you know and i've actually seen that so the sparrow actually used to be more of a music spot and mm-hmm. she the owner is now taking it more towards the comedy way and i think a lot of the places we're starting to see that on the the smaller underground theaters are now coming up and they're doing improv and they're doing you know different comedy nights but it's not as advertised as well right but i really do think that we're going to start to see that a little bit more um charleston's you know, number one destination for and every damn magazine. Oh, yeah, of, you know, and you have a lot down. of tours come in town, and I'm sure they and they look for that. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I don't know what they're going to do here other than that, because all they're <laughs> doing is just knocking shit down and building hotels. So right. if you guys like to hotel hop, come on down to Charleston. Really? So um, we talked about Bill Murray, and with him living here, have you ever met Bill Murray or seen um, him here? I've seen him. I haven't met him. I mean, of course, he's at the River Dogs a yeah. lot. But, uh, you know, and I, I love his sense of humor. <laughs> oh, he's definitely one of the originals and well, still is today. I, from what I understand, he doesn't even have an answering machine or anything. No, no, if you just, get him, you get him. You don't, you don't. He may show right. up. He I, may not. I love that, you oh, know. Yeah. And uh, when you're that good, you can mm-hmm. do that kind of stuff. You know, I'm performing now every Sunday night here at the Ice House. Right. And we're literally now to the point where we're just about getting a sold-out crowd every Sunday. That's And fantastic. they know I come on stage at 930, and, you know, there's other acts too. But, you know, I want them to have fun, you know, and uh, it usually goes very well, you know. And um, I'm looking, I'm talking to more and more places because I want to try to open up venues. To get them more... You know, yeah, do let's some start comedy. the youngers. Yeah. You know, you had Dangerfield at one point. You know, you could be our Charleston Dangerfield. Come on, 
I don't know about, about that. About the fifty dollars I mean, a joke, you know, but yeah, no, not Dangerfield I, money, but <laughs> well, no, you know, I've written a lot of stuff because Rodney was my idol. I, I sometimes pretend could I be Rodney Dangerfield, and I write stuff in his style. Oh yeah, you know. It's, uh, you know. Well, with Dangerfield, you also gave me Back to School, and I'm gonna tell you, I've probably seen that movie more times than I can count. Oh, that's a I classic. I could probably yeah. recite every line, but my favorite scene out of that is going to be with Sam Kennison as the teacher. I think it's Turgis. And he is so Kennison. I mean, and the funny thing about him is that he was actually a preacher at one point, and I would love to be able to hear some of his stuff. <laughs> one of his uh, sermons? Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Can you imagine? He'd be yelling at you in the oh pews. Get out of your seat. Yes, I believe. <laughs> Go out there and save somebody. Just don't hurt me. Watch yep. the scene with Kinnison yelling at the girl, and you can see the camera is over Rodney Dangerfield's shoulder, and he's shaking because he can't control his laughter. He's doing everything he can to control his laughter. But watch that movie, folks. I laugh more at Dangerfield just vibrating in his chair. Because he can't <laughs> handle Kennison. He was always on. I mean, oh. Dangerfield was, he was always funny. And uh, that was the great thing about him. You knew if you were around him, you were going to have a good time. Mm -hmm. You know? And uh, that movie kind of depicts some of his wild side because that really was him. He was very wild. Uh, even though he, he said he found the love of his life towards the end of his life woman just loved him and loved his comedy and everything else and let him do whatever he was doing, you know? Women love a funny man. Yeah. They do. <laughs> you know, that movie is one of my favorites. It, it, he just... I miss movies like that as well. Um, and everybody's going to say, you know, oh, there's problems with him going in the women's shower. Well, fuck that. It's funny. I'm a woman. Dangerfield walks in the shower. Be like, what the hell? But it's yeah. funny. Yeah, I don't want to politically correct Rodney Dangerfield. No, it doesn't work out that way. <laughs> you know, let him go on and uh, do his stick. Uh, and that's what they did. You know, Caddyshack was the first movie he showed up in. Oh, and, and his uh, pants are amazing in those. Yeah, he and they and he kept on saying to Ramis, he says, "You ready for me? No, not yet, Rodney. You ready for me? No, not yet." Okay, do your stick. And that's when he came in and started doing all of his stuff, you know. I'm sure he was just vibrating in real life, just like, I can go, I can go. Can I oh, go? Yeah, can I go? He, yeah the okay, nerd just twitched. Everything was just like that, <laughs> you know. But he got he got that character so far down. I mean, he was so great at that character. Oh, he, I, I mean, I think that was just Dangerfield yep. on his own. I'll tell you, I get no respect. <laughs> I got <laughs> cooked out of the express line the other day for having a dozen eggs. <laughs> But In my boy, neighborhood, they call the Bay Animal Control to pick me up. <laughs> oh, I loved him so much. We uh, also had uh, Groundhog Day, and that was another one with, you know, that's a Bill Murray uh, and another Harold Ramis directing, and they actually got in a fight <laughs> to where they didn't speak for, what, 20 years, I think? Mm -hmm. But they ended up making up before Ramis, you know, untimely passing. But what about that movie is... Something um, that speaks to you, or you love, or, or it's just which damn, movie are you talking about? With Groundhog Day, the what? The Groundhog Day, the grandma. Groundhog Day. Oh, Groundhog Day. Okay. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, like I said, it. I thought it was a breakthrough comedy because it was different than anything else that was out there at the time. Right. Um, constantly repeating every day and going through those things, and of course, Bill Murray was good and. 
Harold Ramis was in it for a little bit. Yeah. You know, and uh, him and Murray did a lot of movies together, and Ghostbusters and all that stuff. But uh, And he kind of came up in Second City just like Bill Murray came up in Second City. So um, he was a different type of comic. He, he really wasn't into the stand-up as much as, you know, writing mm-hmm. and kind of improv and that kind of stuff. Um, I thought they were great in Stripes. Stripes was so good. <laughs> and uh, so they, you know, and then John Candy. My, I was about to say, my money's on John Candy on <laughs> yeah, that I one. Yeah, I know. John Candy. Uh, he was great, too, at just mm-hmm. coming up with quick wits. But, you know, you think about these guys, and, the, and they, they do come up with some great lines right on the spot. And you it's know. the improv. It's, so, it's yeah, you know, in, in Ghostbusters, you know, how Ramis says to Bill Murray, where those steers go? Up. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and then in What About Bob, Bill Murray says, you know, there's two kinds of people, those who like Neil Diamond and those who don't. I think that is a funny, funny lie. No, he's an actual amazing genius. Yep. When um, you're on the stage, if you do have, like, any hecklers or anything, how, I mean, does that throw you off at all, or how do you deal with that? Um... I just, I constantly tell them, do you really want to go down this road? I'm, I'm reserved at first, mm-hmm. but if all of a sudden they want to go down that road, I say, okay, buddy, let's go to it. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> yep. So you're one of the greatest halfwits, huh? Yeah, okay. <laughs> and uh, there was some guy from New York who was heckling me on stage, and and uh, I said, where are you from? He says, oh, I'm from New York. I said... So how long have you been in the South? He says, six months. I said, well, bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's laughing, right? And then uh, I said, you don't know what that means, do you? No. <laughs> so for everybody so, listening, a nice Southern way to say go fuck yourself is bless yep. your heart. And his wife was on the floor laughing. I mean, <laughs> I said, do you have to put up with this shit at home? You know? <laughs> so, you know? And, and she's probably sitting there going, yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I do. But um, I don't know. You don't get too many hecklers. I mean, once in a while, people like to throw in their jokes, and that's fine with me. Um, but uh, sometimes the hecklers can add a different dimension to your stand-up because you're, you're going in it. one direction and you have to switch directions a little bit. But most of the people in the audience came there to see you, want to hear your jokes. And like your jokes. Right. You want to get the audience on your side. I tell young comedians, always lead with some of your funniest lines right away. Just get them on your side laughing, okay? And um, so I can do a lot of one-liners like Rodney. I can do a lot of stories like I told you about my son. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can do anything from very clean jokes to very raunchy jokes. <laughs> uh I don't know if you want me to talk about any of that stuff. Let her rip. Okay. <laughs> so I was down at the Sparrow one time, and <laughs> all the comedians before me were just getting into this raunchy, raunchy stuff. And I had my set, <laughs> and it was basically, you know, a few dirty jokes, but clean jokes, right? Mm-hmm. So I get up on stage, I said, well, I did have a thing of clean jokes I was going to do for you, but fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> I could see when somebody, st- when one comedian um, 
Jack, who was just before me, he starts talking about his ass being licked by his dog. I said, you know, you guys want to get down and dirty, don't you? Because they were in, the audience was into it. They said, yeah, okay, I remember the first time I got my ass licked. <laughs> and they started laughing right away. I said, yeah, I was in college and this, uh, asked this girl out for a date. After date, I said, what do, you, what do you want to do? And without hesitation, she said, I want to get a strap on and fuck your ass. Did I, you buy your dinner, though? You bought her dinner, right? I okay. better, bought her dinner, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I said, is this going to get you off? And she said, yeah. I said, okay. So we went back to her dorm room. And next thing I know, she gets this big ass strap on out. She bends me over, licking my ass, lose off the strap on starts fucking me in the ass literally fucking the shit out of me <laughs> oh wow but she came she came everywhere i mean oh, but I, I was sick for a whole i mean i was sore a whole week i should have known better her first name was peggy you know nice so that went over real big yeah <laughs> i love how we you know you got you're gonna have those crowds where you know just just let her go let it go and that's not as rare anymore and I'm loving the fact that that's not as rare anymore I know I'm hyping on that in a little bit but comedy's gold you know it's supposed to be there to well you know what I think the funniest thing is <laughs> when I'm doing my stamp stuff and they want me to get down dirty it's mostly the women who want that <laughs> I mean the women are you know really into this and after my set they'll come up and hug me and kiss me tell me they love me and all that I don't know how to react to that you know <laughs> it's like and but they really get off on it listen I'm a woman we we can beat dirty bitches just saying <laughs> there there's was this, there was no this, no joke that a man can tell that women are like yeah well there's this one lady who was in the audience she went to the uh, College of Charleston Law School and it was Halloween night, and she started talking about how just before, and she was interacting with the comedians, and she was talking about, you know, before she came there, she's watching some punkin' porn, right? A punk? Punkin' porn. Holy. Yeah, I know. I'm not Googling that because I don't want anything yeah, uh, popping up. And then uh, <laughs> she's talking about her vibrator and everything else, and uh, so finally I get up on stage. I said... Guys, I mean, she was a very pretty young lady, a blonde. And I said, can you see this? You wonder why blondes have more fun? <laughs> you know, <laughs> look at the stuff that she's into. And, and she had her whole, uh, they had about six or seven of them from law school, right? I said, well, you're going to be a good lawyer. You probably charge a lot, too. <laughs> <laughs> and then they had another lawyer there who was dressed like a, like a scarecrow or, you know, like is on the farm. I looked oh. at him. I said, "You really came to a comedy club dressed like that? You Did remind me it? of the scarecrow. You have no brains." <laughs> <laughs> he had to have lost a bet. Please tell yeah. me, because right, or I'm going to need to know what law he practices later. Yeah, because I no, I'm not hiring him. You did what? Right. <laughs> but uh, so, if they're going to get down and dirty, I can do that too. I mean, uh, but I like to do more of the jokes like I said where there's more thought to it more insight mm. to it get them to laugh you know um, I'll tell you another story it's true about my oldest daughter her name is Heather and I say this when I start talking about my kids I, I lead it off by saying 
I'm going to talk about my children. I'm not changing any of their names because none of them are innocent. (laughs) (laughs) They've been proven guilty. But Heather wanted a baby doll, and we had five children, okay? So um, she was eight years old, and we didn't have a lot of money then, but I went out and got her a baby doll. She got it, and I called this skit Shelly the Jewish Baby Doll, okay? So she gets... Gets the baby doll, and she looks at it, and I said, Heather, what are you going to name her? She said, I'm going to name her Shelly. I said, well, you know we're a Christian family. Yeah, but she looks like a Shelly to me. So why does she look like a Shelly? She's got a hard head and a soft body. And I said, well, that poor baby doll, Shelly the Jewish baby doll, she really got beat up by the kids in the family. First of all, <laughs> Heather tried to convert her. She took her to church every week. <laughs> but then... She, Shelly and her had a special bond. Shelly even invited her to her bat mitzvah. So. Oh, thank you. Uh, but uh, but her, her youngest sister, Lulu, who is a Lulu, got very jealous of the relationship between Shelly and Heather. So she snuck into Heather's room and stole Shelly, okay? Mm. And we couldn't find Shelly. You know, Shelly disappeared. Well, a few months after that, Lulu comes up to me. She says, Dad, can I have a black magic marker? I said, okay. I didn't think anything of it. About an hour goes by. I hear all these noises coming out of her bedroom. So I go into it. And there she is marking up Shelly, you know? Oh. Yeah. And I said, let me have that. There better not be any numbers on this. (laughs) (laughs) Shelly and Heather would not talk to Lulu for six months. (laughs) Then Andrew, her brother, he got jealous. He stole Shelly and threw her up in the rafters. We didn't know about it until we sold the house and we found her. We called Heather, who was in college at that point. We said, we found Shelly. And she drove home all that night just to get Shelly. Well, now she's about ready to have her first daughter. And she's going to give Shelly to her first daughter. I said, why are you going to give Shelly to your first daughter? She says, because Shelly's a survivor. (laughs) (laughs) She's seen some shit. It's a good thing we're an Irish Catholic family and not German, you know? Yeah, that doesn't play well down front. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But that's Shelly the Jewish baby doll skin. I love it. And it's just about all true. Yeah. Um, You know, we were talking about, like, the sanitized and unsanitized. How would you feel about with uh, Jerry Seinfeld and his not wanting to use any curse words? And I think, you know, using a few here and there is just the spice of life. You know, we saw George Carlin live, and I'm—that's one of the best comedians I've ever seen live. And yeah, we he, were ready to fall out of the seats, but you know, he, he had a, the seven dirty words. Yeah, he had a lot of George Carlin. You know, was a very smart mm-hmm. comedian, and I try to do a lot like them. I will use cuss words just to em- make an emphasis on something. Right. I don't use them all the time, but I can't blame Jerry Steinfeld for doing that. He wants the comic, comedic side, his jokes to stand alone, which I understand. Um, though I I remember, I don't know if you ever heard this skit he did about um, about how dogs are the second, you know, lowest form of life on um, the planet because they think about eating shit. <laughs> Flies eat shit, but dogs, they go up and sniff it. Nah, I don't want people to think I'm a fly. (laughs) 
then they get die and they get reincarnated back as a fly. <laughs> now, how are you with Larry David in his comedy? See, I grew up in, um, a lot of people don't know this about the Maryland, Baltimore area. Mm -hmm. It is the second largest Jewish population next to New York City. And my best friend was Jewish. And a lot of people in our comedy club were Jewish. And, uh, but he is, he does pretty much Jewish humor, you know. Mm -hmm. It's just almost to the point where... I don't think it's as funny, you know, because I've heard it all from all my Jewish friends, you know. <laughs> You've already and, got the material. Yeah, so, you know, uh, but, I mean, he does some funny stuff, obviously, but, uh, you know, the self-defecation and, you know, Jewish sense of humor sometimes, I can only take so much of it nowadays. I was like that, you know, as much as I absolutely love him, the late Robin Williams, and even Jim Carrey, I cannot watch them on an interview they make me nervous because they're just all over the place and just erratic and I'm like I'm getting anxiety just watching you I can't do this I mean geniuses but I just know I can't do it they can't they couldn't get out of their own uh, character mm -hmm. you know and once you develop that kind of character and you're on all the time it's tough it's tough to change you know um yeah, they were very witty, and they would go in 10 different directions, but if you knew them, you knew they would do that. Right. <laughs> no. Okay? Um, like I said, there are a lot of funny people out there, and there's actually a, a lady who came to see me and, and recorded some of my stuff at the Sparrow. Her name is uh, Anna Jordan. Mm -hmm. She's very funny. She uh, is a single mom. Uh, she thinks the same way I do. We run jokes by each other and everything else. And I'm trying to get her to go on stage because I think she would kill it, you know? Right. But she just hasn't done it. She's kind of disappeared on me. And I wish she would do it because I know she has the talent. And she, she's one of the funniest people I've met down here. She's tremendously funny. So what kind of advice would you give to, you know, as far as we've gone through, like, how you do your jokes and, you know, write, you know, what you know, make it a good story, make it, you know, not just one-liners and insults, but anybody coming up, you know, because you've done this for a while, what would, what's your advice to um, the younger ones coming up? First of all, like I said, have fun, be yourself. If you write something down that you think is funny, it probably is funny. Now, whether you can really develop into a joke, that's another story. Sometimes you can't, you know? Mm -hmm. So you got to do a trial and error. You got to work the audience. See, I usually tell them if you, if you use a joke two or three times and it bombs, let it go. Don't, don't touch it anymore, okay? Because right. it's not going anywhere. Uh, but you want, like all comedians, you want it. You know, when I was growing up, you wanted to come down to that five-minute set that was the perfect set because that's what would get you on the Tonight Show, right? Mm -hmm. As to be a comedian, be on the Tonight Show was the big deal. And you had to come up with a five-minute set that usually had about 10 to 15 great laugh lines in it. And so that's what most comics do. Um, 
because I'm a little older, I guess I just write stuff all the time. So I just go up there and just spew it out now. And um, and then I kind of weed through what really was funny and what wasn't, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and that's smart with the recording, too, so you can go back. Because you're, when you're on stage, you're not... You're paying attention, you're on point, but to go back and look at it is definitely a, a huge plus. Yeah, you should definitely record everything that you do and then be honest with yourself when you go back and listen to it and see what you know what really did work, mm-hmm. you know. And the same thing where I said if a joke doesn't work after a few times drop it. If you're doing a joke that works one or two times and then you kind of lose it, you got to figure out where you lost it. I mean, it was really funny at one point, but all of a sudden you usually, as comedians, because we're thinking all the time, we tweak it a little bit. And sometimes you can tweak it to the point where it isn't as funny as it was, you know. So you want to study your stuff and see which we're getting the best laughs and just keep on working to getting at least that five to ten minute you know, kill or set. Right. And have a thick skin. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you know, one thing about Jerry Steinfeld that I really liked, he said, you know, forget the five percenters. And what he was talking about is a lot of comedians make the mistake. They get on stage, and then there's somebody, they, every, most of the crowd's with them, 95%, but there's one or two that are not, mm-hmm. the five percenters. And then they start putting all their energy into trying to get the five percenters, right? And sometimes you end up turning the whole audience against yourself because you're concentrating on those guys that aren't going to laugh at your stuff. You know, just let them go. <laughs> well, we're going to go ahead and end on that note with everything. Okay. I've, I've enjoyed this so much and love to have I'm you back again. I'm willing to do more, yeah. So, <laughs> I, I want to have you back again. Okay. Um, what, uh, going back to the World Wide Webs, would you have anything to plug or... Any websites, uh, Instagrams? No, I'm I'm very private right now. Mm-hmm. So what I do, like when I met you guys, I send you my I video and then I send it to you. Right. So I basically, if you come down and see me and you give me, you know, your numbers or email, I can just send you the YouTube video I converted it into and you can have it. Um, most comedians I know are like me. They're very leery but they want to put stuff out there very leery of people taking their material yeah, you know it is sacred it is sacred your material when you wrote it you know it's all part of you you don't want somebody else to take it and I know you can't 100% protect that but um, just like Kentucky Fried Chicken, the original's the best, right? That's right. <laughs> well, John, you are an exceptional original, and I really appreciate you coming on. And, folks, we will be back in a few weeks, and I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Give us a rating. Love us. Give us five stars. If you don't love us, just don't listen. You guys have a great day. Thank you, John, again. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you.